Tuning Quest episode 291. I'm your randomized host, Mike the Wanderer, and with me as always. Fully deterministic outcomes in brain animation. And what is going on this week? What is going on this week? What the fuck? I don't know. We're a little early. Yeah. My brain's a little dead, but. You know. That's where we are. Yes, uh, and for anyone that watches Shenanigans, I apologize for the lack of shenanigans. Uh, we all Yes, I was dealing with the lack of sleep, partly due to child, children, child endangerment. Right partly now. due to staying up way the fuck too late because I'm making poor life decisions. Are you playing Destiny? Yep. Sure was, but I mean, it, it didn't help. But I probably would have canned it anyway. Yeah, I was asleep before normal shenanigans time, so good, which is very unusual for me. But yeah, anyway. Um, this is normally up to till like three a.m. I don't know how he works. Usually just 2 a.m., but yeah, occasionally 3 a.m. Me or 2 a.m. Usually only when I can sleep a bit on the later side the next day. Uh, I don't understand how you work. I don't know. It's, I'll tell you exactly what happened, okay? So, you know, I finished college and start in a, start in a job right away, and I don't want to really say it's a startup because the company was a few years old at that point, but it was... Relatively startup adjacent. Yes, software company. And if you were there at 9 a.m., you were very likely the first person there. So, um, why not start at 11? I kind of just continued. uh, Well, it was normally like 10, but yeah, kind of just continued (laughs) my normal um, college sleep schedule, I would say. And that was further complicated. When I got wonders for your college sleep yes. schedule, either. Further complicated when I got married, and my wife is a nurse, so she works on a completely different schedule. And, oh, Lord. Which, you know, so we don't go to bed at the same time, and only contributed to me continuing with this stupid sleep cycle. So, yes, I I sleep weird hours, and not a lot of them. And it's just kind of how it goes. I don't know. As long as you're not dead, I suppose that's fine. I guess some people do fine on five hours of sleep, which is about which is about me. And honestly, if I sleep longer than that, I feel worse. I don't know how that yeah, works. Some people are like that. Yeah. I usually need like seven or else I'm miserable. Yeah. Over the course of a human lifetime, you'll probably live more, like a year more than me. <laughs> that Congrats. Doesn't seem, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, that's just how life goes, buddy. That's true. Yeah, uh, so wanted this week, we'll do it after we talk about what we've been playing, just go through the categories for the, the year rewards because those are coming up and just go through our picks real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm going to have to pull that list up in a second so I have it handy. Uh, but yeah, those are going to be coming up soon in on RP Gamer. And pretty curious 
to see what people pick because honestly um i'm not not sure what's okay so elden ring is probably gonna win our rpg rpg of the year because it's winning everything that was my expectation yeah, yeah. expectation outside of that i don't know to be honest for something like Xenoblade 3 to pick up some. Yeah. And honestly, Xenoblade 3 could win it, be considering its two predecessors did very well on the site, so we'll see. Uh, we are a very JRPG-friendly website, so... Um, mm. You know, it, it, it could end up getting more votes, but I honestly don't know. You know, um a lot of people that work for the site and I am not as familiar with the Everyone's preferences stations. of some of the newer folk as I am to some of the older folk so I don't know we'll have to see it should be interesting who can say but before we get to that what have we been playing uh, so committed the cardinal sin and I'm playing a new game Ish. You do that a lot. Yes. But specifically, if I'm going to be picking up new games, I want it to be things I can play in small chunks. So in this case, it's a roguelike in Void Terrarium, which is a normal-sounding name, but if you look at how the title is written, uh, it looks like a line of computer code. <laughs> Ah, it's like that kind of void. Void T R R M T R L M parentheses semicolon. Nerds. Uh, yeah, but it's it's a Nissa roguelike, and by roguelike I mean like you know like a mystery dungeon game. I think that's Pro proper roguelike. Yes. Uh, and so far, it's been a pretty good one. It's. It's kind of somewhere in between, like, it's not incredibly harsh and unforgiving, like, say, Sheer and the Wanderer, uh, but it's also not, like, it doesn't, you will likely die, if, especially if you're not playing carefully. So it's not quite um, as easy as, like, a, mis a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon game, so... It's been kind of fun. Plus, it's um, it's got a nice art style. Some of the dialogue is pretty funny. Like the only kind of the only character that's talking so far is this computer that kind of guides you where to go. You're, they're basically trying. It's you play as a robot, and the other's like a computer that kind of killed all of humanity and feels bad. <laughs> Good job, Ham. Nice work. Uh. So you're trying to take care of like, maybe the last human. And it's, Good job, um, Anne. Yeah. I think I've talked a lot about how I like different takes on post-apocalyptic post -apocalyptic games, and this is uh, definitely a different take on that. Like, um, like some kind of fungus infestation drove humanity underground, and then something happened in this computer somehow caused like the destruction of humanity sometimes known as the allied master games. computer yeah uh, yeah it's neat i like it and um so hopefully sequel will be good too but uh it's 
it's definitely easy to play in small doses and it's also like the file size I think was under a gig which is nice uh, so definitely uh, definitely recommend people checking check it out it's I think it was like 20 bucks on the eShop so it's a pretty fun little game but other than that I have as promised returned to Dragon Quest 11 where are you I am currently dealing with some sort of ice witch. Um, uh, so which we, world do you have with you? <laughs> I have uh, the main character, the two sisters. Veronica uh, and Sorna, yeah. What's their name? Jade? Yeah. And the main character's grandfather, whose name escapes me. Uh, it starts with an R in my brain. Reb. Right. Yeah, uh, Reb. Reb. Uh, Silvando, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, the, uh, the first character you meet, who actually... I think Eric is involved with that subplot. Yes. Eric, who I haven't actually had active in my party for probably like 10 hours. Rude. <laughs> Maybe not that much, but um, yeah. Uh, well, the, my playstyle with Dragon Quest often involves using lots of AoE to try and, at least in my speed mind, things speed things along. So he doesn't have a lot of that. So to try and use him more, I'm, I'm trying to rework him using boomerangs. So we'll hmm. see how that goes. But uh, yeah, as always, I'm enjoying the hell of that game. I just need to find a way to not get distracted by other shiny things, which is going to be difficult in the early parts of this year, especially at the end of next month. So I'm going to attempt to play as much Dragon Quest as humanly possible before Lightfall hits at the end of February. Because that, at least immediately upon release, is going to be a nightmare of a distraction. Yeah, that sounds awful. Um... I'm glad you're making progress. Yeah. Uh, let's see, other than that, I haven't really been playing much else. Um, I've been scrounging around eBay trying to pick up, trying to collect some weird mystery dungeon games. Like I'm trying. You to always do this. Yes, I always <laughs> do this. But th- this is actually one that I've been working on for a while and kind of just forgot about uh but i was just you know scrolling around there looking to see how much some of the old shearing games were and like the old game boy games were like 10 bucks so i said why not and started to look for some of the other ones some of which have fan translations um but the one the one I always forget exists, but is unfortunately super expensive. Is there's some weird shearing game for Dreamcast? Oh, I'm surprised you would care because of the Dreamcast game. Uh, I normally wouldn't, but it's shearing. But that mm. that game was pretty spendy. Yeah, like seventy bucks was the cheapest they saw it. Sure, on the Wanderer Guide and Sword from Oscar Kenzon. Yeah. Fair enough. Looks, uh. Ooh. Actually, look at this. This is in 3D. Uh. 
Thank God, it does not appear to, no. It's, it's that weird kind of SD 3D of that era. Yeah. yeah it doesn't look as bad as uh, Dreamcastic Robot Wars Alpha. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, with uh, playing Void Terr Terrarium, uh, I will probably be doing some mystery dungeoning this year. Uh, streaming uh, actually, a mystery dungeon, usually. Actually, on the stream, I'm going to probably play some Sheeran, because I uh, picked up Sheeran 5 on the cheap on Steam. The dice of fate. Yes. Which is a game, in case if anyone is wondering. I reviewed the Vita version of that a few years ago. Many years ago. Yes. It's a very good game, but the last boss is an asshole. Uh, actually, she actually made me dock it like a, almost a full, I think a full point. <laughs> what did you end up giving up? It's either a 3.5 or a 4. Wow. But yeah, the last boss is one of those bosses that can like spawn other enemies. Uh, so that seems to, bad for a rock to, to beat it without killing myself, I had to abuse Sony's cloud saves on the Vita. So I back up my save, try the final boss, restore the save, do it again. That um, sounds awful. I mean, it's not that bad, but it kind of goes against the whole point of a roguelike. But yes, uh, I think I had to keep doing that until I got basically a random... Stars aligned. Yes, a random roll where the boss didn't spawn a billion monsters. Because, as you can imagine, that um, doesn't quite work out too well. It's not ideal. Is that all you've been playing here? Yep. That's it. Let's see. As for me, uh. Whole lot of Dragon Age. Did I finish Origins when I last spoke to you? Uh, I think you may have. I, I can't recall. Either you'd finished it or you were near the end. Let me check. Let me check. I definitely would have beat out at least. I would have yelled yeah. at least a few people oh, when I finished it. We so. definitely talked at length about Dragon Age last week, though. Oh, we did, but I don't remember if I finished it. So you're under the two then? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm on two. Nice. The one where combat is better. The one where a lot of things are better, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's funny. Dragon Age. Looks like I finished around. Looks like game. I would have finished just after. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Dragon Age is a game I was super excited for and ultimately was very frustrated with by the end. It was not quite the experience I had hoped it would be. For me, it was just sort of an appetizer for Mass Effect 2, which came out like three months later. Oh, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, uh... Dra Dragon Age Origins is trying to recreate something that they couldn't really recreate for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. It was very much them trying to do Baldur's Gate in a then-modern context. And 
the sacrifices that have to be made to make something that was that looked like a game someone would purchase for sixty dollars in two thousand eight and nine uh, made that essentially completely impossible. And in general, like just choices that would have to be made for it, like Baldur's Gate one two have like dozens of party members. I don't remember the exact number, but it's way too many. There's a lot. Because, because the D&D rules say that a lot of them are just going to eventually die. And there's not going to be a lot of worth in trying to keep them alive. Like, they, they needed to have characters who filled most class archetypes for a multitude of alignments at multiple points in the story. So there's just a ton of re- characters that would... in in any other game, they would be considered redundant. But you need tons of overlap in those. So, you know, like, there's a lot of, like, you can't have that many characters in a game built to the spec of an HD game from, like, 2009. It's just not going to happen, especially if they all have to have voices. Like, there's, there's just no, there was just no doing it. So like, they have to make all sorts of compromises to try to present that kind of scope and scale, even though it's impossible to maintain. <laughs> uh, and like, the, the game they made is not bad. It's not really the game that I personally want, but I also don't actually like Baldur's Gate that much. Uh, j- just as a matter of taste, there's just a lot of things that it's doing that I that aren't for me. Like. And some of that is stuff that they did do away with. Like, I, I'm not huge on isometric perspectives. You've got to have, like, a really good controller control scheme for me to be able to deal with that. Uh, but, you know, the, there's other things that's just, like, Dragon Age 1 has, like, a very, as mentioned last week, a very, very generic fantasy look. So, something that, like, the people who worked on it would actually cop to, that it has, like, a very mid-aughts fantasy look to it that doesn't have a lot of individual identity to it. Yeah. And Dragon Age 2 fixes basically all of that. Um, it has a lot of its own problems, but I personally don't mind them too terribly much. Uh, the one, one thing that should be mentioned, Dragon Age 2 was made in like 15 months. <laughs> if that. Uh, very, very quickly. Uh... It was made on the bones of Dragon Age 1. Uh, it's the only other game that uses Dragon Age 1's engine. That was a ton of money that they probably spent that was essentially thrown into a toilet. But uh, that that engine was not going anywhere after <laughs> no. after Dragon Age 2. There's, there's no logic in trying to keep forcing it to make games. Uh, but uh, it is made on the bones of Dragon Age 1. It was made uh, largely because when Electronic Arts bought Bioware, they bought them because they wanted Star Wars The Old Republic. They wanted that MMO. EA didn't really have a lot of competitors in that space. So they just sort of thought Star Wars is big. Bioware's Mm. popular. Uh, This MMO will immediately rocket us into that space. That game was pushed back years. Uh, I mean, Bioware was the first time MMO developer, so unsurprising. And, you know. It's not even made by their main office, right? 
What? It was made largely by Bioware Austin, though I think it was. I think there were multiple teams on it at various points. Jeez. Uh, but it, it slipped multiple years. Uh, it had slipped by the t- at least a year by the time EA got hold of it, and it slipped at least another year by the, uh, after the EA, EA buyout. Jeez. So it was announced in 2008, and it came out in 2012. <laughs> Uh, December of 2011, uh, March of 2012, for various, between various territories. Uh, so, but EA bought them on the basis of they've got this MMO that's almost done. That, that like that's a space we want to be in, and like it's got like it it to for all the world looked like it had everything going for it. So to them that was like the, this is the reason we're buying the company. Uh, then it, uh, but like, you know, during that intermittent period, like they've like, they're bought by a company called like elevation partners at some point yeah, when that is because they're running out of money because their projects are essentially perpetually late. Uh, but Bioware gets bought by a company called elevation partners. Uh, what's this? Yeah. I believe that uh, Tor was like largely designed in Edmonton and then like shifted over to Austin later in its development. But uh, the uh, I'm trying to remember when Bioware got bought by Elevation Partners. It was probably uh, okay. Um, uh, EA bought them. Uh, okay, they were they were purchased by Elevation Partners uh, in November of two thousand five, shortly after the release of JF Fire. Hmm. Uh, Elevation Partners, you probably don't remember. You can probably tell by the name that that's extremely a private ec- equity firm. Oh, for sure. Like one American of the most, <laughs> like it is a company that like owns things but has no desire to be known for owning them. Uh, it was uh, co-founded by. Uh, it was co-founded by. Uh, like a few different people. The funniest person who was attached to it was. Uh, Bono from U2. What the fuck? Is that why? Is that why where the name comes from? Uh, quite possibly. I don't know enough about U2 to say so. <laughs> but, I think that's uh, the name of an album or a famous song. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Elevation Partners was a company that like tried to. They, they were basically for a brief period in the mid They were trying to flip game companies. Uh, I tried to buy IDOS before Square ended up buying that. Uh, technically, this was before SCI, a company you never heard of and don't remember, bought it. Some other like brief uh, shining star of the European game industry that was then almost immediately liquidated and sold to Square. Oh, uh, but yeah, they bought. Uh, Bioware and Pandemic, if anyone remembers Pandemic Studios. 
they made the initial Star Wars Battlefront games. They made the Mercenaries Playground of Destruction games. Uh, they were a brief, they were a brief shining star, and then they they got torpedoed by the 360 and PS3 because they tried to make their own engine. Whoops. And all their games were supposed to run on that tech, and uh, it blew up in their face. I think their last game was either Mercenaries 2 or I think the Sab the Mercenaries 2 might have been the last game they made, but the Saboteur is what killed them. Uh, but b beyond that, uh, so Bioware gets bought by them. Uh, their things are going swimmingly. They have their partnership with Microsoft for Mass Effect 1. And then there's big old financial downturn that uh, fucks up the economics on a lot of shit. Uh, they uh, get sold to EA in 09. EA wants them to essentially, uh, you know, rebuild their MMO division that has been has waxed and waned at various points. Uh, that doesn't, you know. But as mentioned, like uh, in 2009, it becomes clear that Star Wars: The Old Republic is not going to be out by the uh, the March of 2010 or March of 2011, that it was originally set to be released in. And EA gives them an ultimatum uh, that basically, like, they're clearly pissed uh, and essentially tell them that they need to have something to release in March 2011. <laughs> Doesn't matter what, has to be something. And so Dragon Age 2 gets fast-tracked. Uh Internally, for a while, they call it Dragon Age Exodus, uh, which I think, as a title, probably would have spared them a lot of wrath because people would not have had the same expectations from the name Dragon Age Exodus as they do from Dragon Age 2. Uh, but what's done is done. They, they crunch out a game uh, essentially... Uh, alongside the DLC pat, uh, plans for Dragon Age Origins. They uh, manage to release a game in 15 months. And every decision about the game needs to be understood from the context that, like, in late 2009, they were told they were going to have to make something uh, to release in by March of 2011. <laughs> uh, and it was something that had to, you know, it needed to be on the level of a, like, triple-A RPG. So the fact that that game exists at all is absurd. It's, it's absurd that the game actually happened at all. Came out simultaneously, three platforms, not a great deal buggier than anything else that Bioware ever released. Uh, so incredibly impressive. Complete rework of the, and overhaul of the combat system. Uh, it's probably less buggy than anything they ever made on the uh, the Frostbite engine. Inquisition is about uh, on par with their usual stuff. Uh, there's reasons for that. We won't go into Andromeda or Anthem. <laughs> Especially not Anthem. But, <laughs> there's stories about why that is the game that is. Yeah. Uh... But, oh, hey, Doomerang. Hey, Doomerang. Uh, we will get to yeah. your questions momentarily. Don't you yeah, worry. just let me continue 
giving a truly ridiculous uh, a ridiculous history lesson. Uh, let's see. Uh, I will quickly hit the question now that it's been eight years since Inquisition. Do you think Dragon Age is dead? Dragon Age Red Wolf just hit Alpha. It's out soon. Uh, whether you think it'll be good, yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic for it. Uh, but it's it's known that as of like November, it was possible to play through Dragon Age Red Wolf from start to finish internally. It has reached the point where there is there is a game there that is being well, finished. Promising. Uh, eight years is a long time in our lives. Uh, I mean. I'll put it this way, Dragon Age Origins was in development for seven years. So, as much as it seems uh, like a ridiculous amount of time it is, uh, it's not actually that far afield of how much AAA RPGs spend in gestation. Uh, okay, um, but to finish out a bit more, hey, you. Uh to finish out a few more, uh, to finish out this history lesson. So yeah, they, they put out, uh, they managed to get Dragon Age 2 out in about 15 months. Herculean effort, incredible that it happened at all. Uh, every decision about it was made to make that possible. Uh, cutting out other playable races and, and removing a lot of dialogue options and just general... Uh, options like by giving Hawk a personality, they made it so that it was more acceptable that there are things that Hawk just won't do. Like it doesn't make sense for, and you can still do some truly heinous shit, but like there's there's limits to what you can have Hawk do. Uh, like the origins were a huge thing that was extremely expensive to actually do in Dragon Age Origins because it meant making uh, six tutorials. <laughs> Which is really time consuming. Yeah. Uh, hey, Fire Miner. Uh, got a pun oh, God. Uh, what? Uh, he just says, got a bunch of questions here. But uh, okay. yeah. So, so Dragon Age 2. Uh, oh, Lord. Okay, a lot of questions. Uh, we'll get to these when I finish my thought. Uh, but we'll also get to do more as well. Dragon Age 2 is. Uh, a very it is intentionally a limited game in scope in a way that very few RPGs like to be, especially at that time, and especially in the AAA space. The the idea of like an RPG that is set in a very specific place doesn't move that much uh, is anathema to what people expected after Dragon Age Origins, which was all about like attempting to create the sense of sprawl. Uh, so, but I like that. I, I generally prefer a space that is dense to one that sprawls out in every direction. So, you know, I've, I'm a fan of Kirkwall. It's a place that has a lot of character and history to it. Uh, I like how the advancement in time gives this interesting way for the party's relationships to, uh, to expand within themselves. Like, over time, you can kind of see how certain characters are losing their patience with each other. Uh, and their party banters get meaner between each other. So you'll get 
uh, Ander is the one who is like very who is ready to commit a great deal of violence in order to uh, keep in order to improve the plight of mages to free them versus uh, a character like Fenris who is uh, vo- who is you know a, a person who lived in a country entirely controlled by out-of-control mages who, uh, you know, tortured and enslaved people basically constantly. Uh, so he's he's not exactly a fan of that idea to begin with. But as time goes by, the, those two, uh, over the course of the years the game takes place over, those two become more and more unwilling to deal with each other. And there's there's a certain, like, interactivity of, like, Especially with a lot of games, characters only have a relationship with the protagonist. Like, the player they have a relationship with. And then, with each other, there's, like, more of a dim awareness. Uh, And Dragon Age 2 manages to largely avoid that. There's, like, an understanding of how these characters interact with each other even when the protagonist isn't there, to the point where it's clear that like some of them don't interact with each other. Some of them would not spend time with each other if it was just their choice, but because they're friends with the protagonist, they will put up with each other and just needle each other constantly. And that, you know, that gives the game a great deal of a sense of place. Um, I, I'm much more a fan of just, like, I, I don't think there's a lot of tactical depth to Origins Combat. I'm sure there are people who disagree. I don't think there's a lot of interesting... (laughs) I don't think there's a lot of interesting tactics to be put forward in Origins, so simplifying and speeding it up was exactly what I wanted. I played on PC, so I got that whole tactical view, and it just... There was no point. It was honestly boring. I, I would... If anyone, like, ever asked which version to play, I would always suggest play the console version over the PC version. I, I have to do that because it's my preferred interface. You actually can't you can't play like the console version on the PC, which is just ridiculous. Doom Ryan pipes in with hate Anders, or I assume that's supposed to be Anders. Uh, and the answer is yeah, understandable. Uh, one of the things I like about the game, uh, and I'm just going to spoil a 12-year-old game now, uh there's no way, no amount of persuasion, no amount of trying to help him will ever stop him from committing an atrocity, and I think that's awesome. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's usually like, you know, because games try to give you that sense of control, so ripping it away in this very specific instance that it's like there's no escaping who he is. Uh, that is a choice that he because of the person he is and the circumstances he has, no amount of coaxing or bullying or whatever will ever stop him from making the choices he makes. Spoilers. That, uh, uh, have you not played Dragon Age 2? Uh-oh. I assumed that he was just needling, but... I don't know. What was notification? I'm not used to notification. Doomerang is uh, yeah. not following. You were not following Doomerang? Oh my god. Alright. Thanks for following. Thank you. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I think that it's great to have those situations where uh, a game that otherwise gives you a lot of freedom to influence uh, rips that control away from you. 
But yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's one of those things that uh, uh, and Fear just says that he did play Dragon Age two, but that it was very long time. Oh, okay. But uh, I, I love that it, you know, in that one specific instance, there really is nothing you can do. You just have to decide how you're going to react to the fact that he did this. Uh, and there's there's some other like. <laughs> There's some very funny uh, uh, situations where they pull kind of a similar trick. Uh, one of your party members is... It's impossible to get into a romance with them, even though they have a bunch of flirt options. And uh, you can... Uh, eventually, <laughs> eventually, when you uh, if you keep taking them... Uh, at the end of their personal quest where they get together with an, uh, a non-player character, uh, they'll ask uh, if you ever thought about dating them. And then all of the uh, all of the dialogue options at that point are marked the same way that you get if you're turning someone down. Because <laughs> you just have to, like, if you've been... The, you only get this dialogue if you repeatedly flirt with them, but if you take all those dialogue options. You just have to pretend that you never thought about it. It's very funny to take the player's control away in that fashion. <laughs> in a very deliberate fashion. Uh, I just realized I had a question about Clive Barker in the list. I'm not sure what brought up Clive Barker, but maybe it's some the questions. Uh, maybe you missed this Clive Barker's Undying? Is that thing that? Uh, Clyde Barker's Undying, Clyde why Barker's I, Jericho. Why do I know that exists? Buddy, that's not even the only Clyde Barker game. Well, I'll tell you uh, why I know it exists, though, because I had a Mac version. Oh, of course, so you had to pretend that you cared. Yes. Uh, but yeah, um... But yeah, I, I'm a big fan. I'm at the end of Act 2. I've still got both DLCs to do. I think the DLCs, the, the two DLCs they managed to do for Dragon Age 2 are both much stronger than anything that they did for uh, for uh, Dragon Age 1, and honestly stronger than most of what was ever done for Mass Effect as well. The Dragon Age 2 DLC really represents the game at its best for the most part. Uh, but yeah. Okay, uh, but I'm really enjoying that, and I'll probably be done with it and be into Inquisition by next week, so get ready for that. That game's a sprawl. That's not the kind of game that I necessarily wanted it to be, but I'm trying to give it a fresh chance. Um, hit Doomerang's uh, questions before they scroll on the screen. Okay. Uh, how integral was Strikers to Persona 5? Is it optional for hardcore or no? Uh, I think that it is, and then the uh, extended part of that question. To extend that question, how about Ultimax to Persona 4? Uh, I think that in many ways those are apples and oranges uh, because Persona 5 Strikers is it's a it's a spinoff, it's a sequel kind of, but it's one of those situations where I think that Strikers is not necessary in the sense that Persona 5 is a complete story but I do think that Strikers has much more to add to Persona 5 than Ultimax does to Persona 4. Same thing with any of the other uh, Persona 4 spinoffs that had stories. Like, the stories feel like an excuse to make the game. Is there and a story in dancing? Yes, there is, and it's bad. Um, 
It's the persona persona four dancing is the only one with the story. Three dancing and five dancing do not have stories. But uh, that was persona. Pers- nice. <laughs> yeah, persona persona four ultimax persona four dancing are stories that are I would say bad enough that they kind of diminish the original game. Jeez. Like, not not in the sense that they're necessarily, like, they make me hate the original games, but they do, like, when you play them, you kind of forget. You, it, it, they can end up making you forget why the, you liked the original. Because <laughs> it's just, like, they because they flatten the characters in a lot of ways, they generally just, they aren't adding any, like, new questions. There's not really any new spaces for those characters to go. And Persona 5 Strikers is not perfect, uh, like it's it's taking a lot of the same ground as Persona Five, but it is adding uh, interesting. Like I, I would say the uh, what is his name the the new adult that joins you in Strikers. Uh, I think it's Zenkichi. Yeah, uh, I would say that he adds more to that dynamic than any of the additional characters that were added for Persona Four Arena or uh, Persona Five uh, Persona Four uh, Dancing. Like I don't think that anything. I don't think anything of value is lost by ignoring them. I do think Senkichi adds something useful to the dynamic of the Phantom Thieves, even if just by being an actual adult that is part of this plot, uh, which changes changes the dynamic a great deal. But like, also, Strikers takes the chance of like, hey, there isn't actually a lot for Haru to do by the time that the game is over, so let's give her more to do because she's actually in the game the entire time. <laughs> Like there, there are things that you get from Persona Five uh, Strikers that I think make it worthwhile for hardcore fans, and I think that it is worth playing in a way that I don't like. If you don't just want to play a neat fighting game, then I can't really say that as a Persona fan you lose anything by skipping Persona yeah. Four Arena or Ultimax. Uh, and same thing with like the dancing games, like. If you don't just want to play a rhythm game with Persona music, and honestly, you could probably do better. I don't think the Persona 4 dancing is a very good rhythm game to the point where I never played 3 dancing or 5 dancing. I don't think, because Persona 4 dancing is, I think, a bad rhythm game. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, one of those things, if you don't just want to listen to Persona uh, music getting remixed in a lot of ways, I don't see a lot of value in the dancing games. Uh but Strikers is the one that I would say, like, yeah, that's worth playing. That is a neat game that has, uh, that gives, like, some reasonable additions to the, the dynamic, even if it's got some retread in it. Uh, and, yeah, we already answered the do you think Dragon Age is dead question by saying that Red Wolf is coming out soon. Uh, check back on its signs of life once that is out. I'd suspect that that game is, like, a November of 2023 release. Uh, okay, now the Fireminer questions. We talked about limitations of storytelling games, but what do you think about the opinion that game stories are mediocre even most of the time it isn't written by re- quote-unquote real writers? I've argued on this point before, and people defended it by pointing out the best adventure games were done by people with some kind of real writing credentials. And they said, uh, what they said was that you had to be at least a moderately successful airport novelist. I... I mean, the answer isn't so much... Because, like, a lot of studios have writers now. Like, a lot, a lot. Uh, the answer, I would say, is that 
like you there's there's this tendency to apples and oranges uh game writing uh because you'll get a game that's written uh you know by the equivalent of you know airport writers but it won't get compared to airport writers it'll get compared to why aren't why aren't isn't game writing as good as uh insert like a uh you know a movie by like a oscar winning director and it's like you're you're really comparing apples to oranges there and like sometimes you will get those people that are and because and, and it is easier to attract uh high profile talent to more uh more successful or not successful but culturally relevant mediums like you can attract writers to uh tv and movies much easier because there's less there there are a lot of moving parts to both of those rewrites are a thing but you're less likely to have to rewrite because suddenly a part of the story became technically unfeasible to depict uh not that you won't that does happen when budget cuts happen but like uh if, if someone if suddenly like stitch these two segments together because the level that was originally contained in the story no longer exists is is not as likely to happen in such a full throated fashion on a movie or tv show uh and and just beyond that like there's you know you you have to be willing to pay for high quality writers or they have to be very passionate about the project and sometimes you get that. Sometimes you get Disco Elysium, which is, you know, written by, which was written and designed by people who were uh, the Zaum Cultural Collective before that got, like, fucking uh, carved out by uh, a fucking private equity firm of some description. But the Zaum Cultural Collective was not, strictly speaking, a game studio. It was a studio that happened to make a game. Uh, but, you know, they they were they did a lot of different things that involved writing and like that's how you get uh you know it, it, it's fair to say that like the best stuff will usually come from people who have this broad base of interests and talents but you know if you're comparing uh any given say you, you compare things to what they're what they are comparable to if you're comparing uh, any given like Persona or Xenoblade or Final Fantasy, most of them are at least on even keel with what they're actually competing with, which would be anime, like an anime series. <laughs> like in in current terms, you look at what Sony's games are competing with, and it's like, yeah, those are like a B level uh, prestige TV show. Uh, like that's that's what you get. You get what you get. Like uh, Call of Duty is typically a vapid jingoistic war movie. That's just what they're designed to be. You get the kinds of stories you're trying to make. There's not a lot of appetite in the AAA space to make prestige stories beyond things that look and act like prestige television. That would be my response to that argument. 
compare like for like and you'll find that the level of quality ain't that far apart. Uh, any any thoughts on your end, Wheels? No, I totally agree. Sorry to walk all over you. No, that's fine. Also, television sucks. <laughs> A lot of it's very bad. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, he's asking about someone... I'm going to have to actually look up. Uh, let's see. Uh, have you right, reached the question in the list about Gakutsumikumo and how he had a hand in ruining Metal Gear Solid, even though he had already made a lot of his decidedly mediocre light, light novels? Don't know shit about this man. Uh, let me see if I can get at least an idea of what mediocre light novels you're referring to. Wow, not even ones I've heard of. Um, oh, he wrote the bad Metal Gears. That makes sense. Uh, to clarify, that means he wrote uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 Blocks and Metal Gear Survive. Uh, I mean, like, in his, I, I would have to, I'm going to pull this up off the questions list because we should probably just answer it along with this so that we can at least say we've answered some questions from the list. Uh, so I'm going to go look this uh, question up so that we can fully cross it off. Okay, don't see that. Um, give me a moment while I try to find him. Metal uh, Gear there um, I'm looking at the right questions doc this might be the old one no it's not okay okay about portable apps I'm gonna have to find this because I'm not seeing it in the list. Nothing. I'm not finding it in the list quickly. Uh, so it looks like I am unlucky today. Uh, keep this list open now because we're going to have to answer at least something from it. Uh, let's see. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I, I would say that his hand was limited by the fact that uh, he only seems to have written for the ones that don't matter. <laughs> uh, I'll check his Moby games to see if he maybe showed up in some of the other ones Wikipedia is not listing. But what, no one cares about the classic Metal Gear Survive? No, not even the people making it cared that much about that one. But yeah, I'm only seeing him attached to that and Portable Ops. And Portable Ops is a nothing game. Uh, marketing at Konami tried to play it. Play. It's like the missing link between Metal Gear Solid 3 and Metal Gear Solid 4. And Metal Gear Solid 4 has approximately two, second, two sentences worth of acknowledgement that it might have happened. Or that something like it may have happened. That's it. Uh, Metal Gear... Solid Peace Walker almost explicitly decanonizes it by only by only acknowledging it in as far as being able to say, finally, we can put that crap in San Hieronimo behind. Wow. 
they they did not think highly of portable ops in the retrospect. Um, yeah, I'm only seeing him involved in those two. So if there's some further involvement of his, I'm unaware of. Um, uh, struck the blood ran for years from pretty popular in the light novel circle. Yeah, I'm, I'm very on the outskirts of the light novel circle. Uh, light anime studios love to adapt as light novels, probably because they're easily marketable. Yeah, I mean, like marketable and just in the crowded market, just having something that people have already heard of helps a lot. If you're not making something complicated, even better. Uh, but yeah, I, I, would, I would say that the answer is he didn't successfully run Metal Gear because, uh, you know, Metal Gear uh, under Kojima barely acknowledged his contributions. Uh, I had friends working in the, uh, speaking of which, I had friends working in the adult novel industry, and they told me how it was completely fucked by the hype machine and the readership never reading anything better than fan fictions. For any game with a mediocre plotline, but still praised for a story because marketing and the hype made it possible. I mean, that's getting into some stuff that I don't feel like uh, starting fires on. Uh, my, my general response would be uh, that with most mediums, people respond to characters. People relate to people. And there's there's a hardcore of nerd grognards that love dense plotting and world building. And those those do have their appeals and definitely have an audience. But you get the average person to connect with a narrative. Most of the work is going to be done by how well they relate to the characters within the narrative. And so popularity in that sense is going to be reflective more of the taste of the audience being courted just why light novels tend to have kind of nothing protagonists. They're for, they're for teenagers who just sort of, you know, don't necessarily have discerning tastes. Uh, and, you know, the hype machine will do a lot to that as well. Like not to not speak ill of people who have gotten dicked over in the young adult thing, uh, the young adult uh, novel game. Like it's, it's hard. Any, it's, People want to believe that, like, quality will always rise to the top. And I don't know, maybe in given enough time, uh, the majority of things remembered will be quality. But in terms of what will sell within a human lifetime, it's going to be what people are aware of. So I, I fully understand and sympathize with people feeling kind of fucked over by an industry that like most industries is most concerned with sure bets. So if you got one thing that sold, uh, good enough. And, uh, just in general, people want the comfort of familiar archetypes. That's, I, I mean, it sucks, but it's, it's the way things go. We've got, you know, it, it, it's rough. I, I wish I could say more than it sucks, but I don't want to, I don't want to tell lies about how it'll, how things will get better. <laughs> it's just how it goes. I uh, just realized that I have a question about Clive Barker. Uh, next to farmer, doctor, and attorney, what kind of career do you expect to never be realistically depicted in video games with all the jobs emotional distress? Uh, pirate? I was going to say accountant. Uh, pirate? Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really something I think of as a job. Yeah, I was going to say, is it profession? I mean, technically, there there existed such a thing as privateers. Uh, 
I'm sure there's a game that accurately portrays QA. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I was gonna say accountant. It's too boring. Like you, you just end up uh, like you know that's that's uh, if you made a game with that, it would just be balancing numbers. Yes. I think that's a very limited audience. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Phil. <laughs> also, beat. sorry, friend of yeah, sorry, <laughs> friend of the podcast, beat. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a game that accurately reflects that. But I mean, like, if, if you're worried about, like, not worried, but if your concern is with emotional, uh, correctly uh, showcasing, like, the emotional duress that a job puts you under, like, you're, you're never going to see basically any job depicted accurately in a game that's designed to be fun. That's most of them. Yeah. Certainly there exist games that are designed to depict drudgery. But it's it's one of those things that uh, most jobs aren't going to be depicted that uh, super accurately because in, in, eventually you bow to the fact that the game needs to be fun for most people. Well, hey, there's a bunch of for games that probably accurately depict programming for obviously re obvious reasons. Yeah, or just basically figuring out logic mm. and efficiency. Isn't there a recent game about filing taxes called Bobble, Baba Files Taxes? Yes, there is, but uh, filing taxes is not the same thing as being an accountant. We all file taxes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It is a spinoff of an indie puzzle game. Yeah, that's that's also true. It's somewhere between like normal game and shit posts. But yeah. Uh, let's see. But yeah, uh, I'm sure we could get into uh it's like you'll you'll get depictions of things that are adjacent to a job there are games where it's like yeah let's uh you know uh do science shit and it's like okay you'll you'll get things that are related to what the job is but the it's it's impossible to depict or simulate the the true uh like unending nature of the work <laughs> right. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you get into things that are like menial jobs, uh, so to speak. You know, jobs that, uh, you know, things like janitorial work or uh, working at a restaurant. Like, there are a lot of games about that that are kind of depicting that but of course the nature of game means they have to be simplified if you wanted to stretch your definitions or like like this is super dependent upon the determinations you make about what is accurately depicting a job mm. like ne it's never going to take you eight hours to uh, or even like three hours to clean up like something in a game see also the current gdq speed run of the uh, power wash simulator <laughs> let's, see. let's see could you create uh, I'm going to pop into the questionless uh, 
could you create a game franchise or any franchise at all? Uh, just being extremely satirical, sarcastic, and nihilistic. I recently had an argument with a few fellow Warhammer 40k fans about the root of the franchise and how it has become much more self-serious as it goes on. Uh, I am not a 40k person, so I can't speak to the history of 40k. Uh, and whether it has become uh, uh, more self-serious over time. Uh, I think the answer you run into is the definition of franchise. Uh, because if something doesn't care, uh, like you, you run into the issue of the comedy sequel. The comedy exists to, you see this a lot with like, if a comedy is telling a story and it's used all its jokes, and then you make a sequel, like comedy sequels just tend to be retreads. They tend to be kind of bad. Uh, and it's possible to make good ones, certainly. But it's, it's hard. Uh, and I think that like if you're doing pure satire in a game context, what are you adding? Like At, at some point, you, you get faced with a crossroads of do we are, are we trying to satirize something new with these pieces that were designed to satirize something very specific? Because then you're going to get kind of a bad satire. Do we lean into it? Do we suddenly care about what we're doing? Because are we leaning into people's affection for the character? Because then you know you've left behind like more of the comedy elements. You've got something very different. Uh, I think that the nature of franchising does, to your point, make it harder to treat everything with a complete devil-may-care attitude. Uh, and that, that may be why uh, you'll get some uh, weirdness with uh, uh, what I would assume you're getting at with 40k. Um, it's the game, name of the game that lets you clean up Scenes. I don't know that one off the top of my head. There's probably a few different uh, games like that. But I could not tell you off the top of my head. But yeah, uh, I, I think the nature of anything that is uh, fully embracing uh, nihilism or satire or both is that uh, if it's going to become a recurrent franchise, it needs to start caring about caring earnestly about something. Uh, and that's why you'll get something like in 40 K's case, it chose to become more self-serious because uh, at least if I'm interpreting your statements correctly and understanding your uh, implications about the history of 40 uh, K, that it became more self-serious over time that a game or a, a piece of media that is fully committed to being nihilistic and uh, sarcastic and uh, satirical is not going to be able to continue building on itself because it's constantly breaking breaking itself. So it has to pick something that it's decided it does care about, that it does take seriously in order to be a franchise. Uh, on that same topic, is self-mythologizing inevitable for any long-running franchise? Like, could you imagine a world where we never have uh, Batman the Brooding Dark Knight and instead it is Adam West's Batman all the way? 
I don't think I don't think the problem is necessarily the need to self mythologize. It's more that anything that's going to continue for that long in that many mediums has to eventually examine itself. Because eventually, if something's going to continue that long and be that and have characters that continue running that long, eventually it has to it has to decide what those characters are. And part of what that is is uh, looking at itself. And it doesn't have to bring that to the forefront, but you could even see it in something like Sonic, which has had many identity crises and many different interpretations of itself that have become more and more self-aware, just to use a video game example. But uh, the answer I would say is that if we had had nothing but Adam West-style Batman for the past 50 years, we would not have had Batman for the past 50 years. Uh, it's there's too much Batman media and too much uh, like going on for it to maintain a singular tone and self mythologizing is a way to take something that started silly and make it serious to just examine well what are the pieces we already have and how will we use them inevitably that leads you down into the pure, the push of self examination and it, that can turn into uh, examining things in a fashion that takes them seriously or it can examine them in a fashion that, that tears them down. There's a lot of options there, but that's the other thing is that when enough people have their hands in something, especially people who grew up with it, eventually they're going to want to make media that examines their own relationship with it within that context. And that's where uh, the odds do, in fact, start to approach one, that there will be something that could be construed as self-mythologizing given enough time. Media must forever be a reflection of the people who make it and the people who consume it, and especially once one of those becomes the other, there's a very sharp change in tone. Remember people criticizing Larry... I think that's supposed to be Larry Seinfeld because he never examined... Uh, re-examined himself like many other comedians. I don't think he terribly cared to, is the thing, because he had uh, essentially more money than God by the point where it would have mattered. But there is a reason that people don't particularly uh, follow any of his stand-up posts the show. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of the, the thing. Is uh, The only thing that can stop this eventual march towards like self-reflection is living in a world where you don't need to. Uh, And money is basically the only thing that can do that. And with IP, that never happens because there's never enough money for a corporation. So IP must inevitably uh, do this. Like, especially uh, to even look at it another way, uh, the hands of one author can still do this. Uh, As anyone who has read... The last uh, Hercule Poirot novel would know. <laughs> you you aware of Curtin Wheels? No. Uh, Curtin was the canonical last uh, the the canonical last uh, Hercule Poirot novel uh, by Agatha Christie. Uh, 
I don't think it was actually written last, but it was very much, uh, it, it was very much meant to be the last one because it ends with Hercule Poirot, uh, the famous detective, committing murder and dying. Oh, that's, um, hmm, that's a choice. I will not be apologizing that, that uh, for spoiling that novel. It has existed for 50 years. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's one of those things where it's like, eventually, you know, especially if someone is forced to continue working with, uh, with, if an individual author is forced to continue working far past their point of caring, they will eventually grow to write self-examination because they are upset with it. Uh, and that's where you'll get something like Kurt. But, yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's limited, uh, <laughs> there's, you know, uh, a story, characters and stories are, and contexts are written such that there's only so many stories you can tell without eventually examining the stories you already wrote. Okay, let's throw down another one of these. I think one of the reasons leading to the above question is that so many people having their own takes on the source materials. So isn't we time we talk about not making games unless there is a direct involvement of the original author? Do you want no more heroes games not made? Nah, no more heroes game not made by Suda, Ace Attorney without Takumi, or MGS without Kojima? Uh, no, yes, no. Uh, I think that I, I love Ace Attorney, and I think that the best, that a lot of the best stories in Ace Attorney are written by Takumi. At the same time, I feel that it is much more something that can be expanded without him than, uh, by, by virtue of the fact that I would honestly argue that Ace Attorney 6, which he had no involvement with, is among the best, if not the best in that franchise. Uh, I do think that. Takumi is 100% capable of writing among the best games in that franchise. Greatest Attorney 1 and 2 are incredible. But, you know, it, it, it's very much, it, it depends on the franchise. But also, I would say that, like, I don't see the value in a Metal Gear not made by Kojima or a No More Heroes not made by Suda. That said, if someone else took up the reins, I would still be interested to see by virtue of the fact that there are things, there are stories other people would tell with them. And I'm not sure that I'm interested in those stories, especially for No More Heroes. Uh, I don't know what that story looks like. I can't imagine what that story looks like. But at the same time, I won't say that I don't think that there I, I don't want to 100% say that there's nothing that someone else could add to that story. I think that there are a lot of different takes on that material. And I've always been a strong uh, believer in a few thoughts, uh, or at least I've been a strong believer in these ideas for at least a decade. And one of them is that a, a sequel or a remake reboot cannot truly diminish the value of the original. I mentioned the earlier that like I thought that Persona 4 Ultimax or uh, Persona 4 Dancing were bad because they made you think worse of the original. 
but I think that that's a problem of the flattening that they do to the original material. It doesn't actually make the original material worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, like Metal Gear Survive did not make me dislike Metal Gear any more than Metal Gear 2 Snake's Revenge could. Metal Gear, uh, like, if someone made a bad point-missing No More Heroes game, I would still always have No More Heroes 1, No More Heroes Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes 3, No More Heroes 2, even though Suda's barely involved with... Well, not barely involved, but much less involved with 2. I still think that's a good game that does have interesting things to say about... Uh, interesting ideas for what to do with Travis and what to do with that world and what it's saying and examining. There always when continuing something good there's always the chance to make something that sucks ass and do it anyway I, I do not like someone makes a bad Metal Gear I will still always have the Metal Gears I care about uh, do I think that some people are perhaps wasting their time in doing it sure but there's also the flip side of like I think believe strongly that there are a lot of franchises where people have been too insistent the original author uh, or like an original actor writer producer whatever that they need to be there can't be done right that no one else understands it and that generally isn't healthy because we for, for all the things we're talking about these are immensely collaborative works uh, the only thing that I would say there's no point in making in having another author even attempt would be something that is truly a singular work. Don't try to make a sequel to The Last Supper. It doesn't make sense. But, like, a lot of people had to come together to make Metal Gear, to make No More Heroes, to make Ace Attorney. And they're, like, I do think that you lose something when you have, when you lose a lot of these, like, high-level creative people that have like strong control over the project but i do think that the inherent nature of collaborative process means that you can replace them and you won't get the same thing anymore but you will get something that can be of unique value that is worth caring about even if it isn't the same thing that you would have gotten if the original creator had made it and to to that point if, even if you force the original creator to continue coming back to something, you'll run into situations where they're just not the same person anymore. Uh, I've brought this one up before because it's a really obvious one, but uh, when Rare Replay came out, the guy who essentially spearheaded the Conqueror's Bad Fur Day project talked about how like people would ask him for a sequel, and he just said, I, I couldn't. I could not make... I am not the kind of immature necessary to make a Conqueror's Bad Fur Day sequel <laughs> anymore. I couldn't make it. <laughs> like, the, the, the work of an artist is frozen at a moment in time. You, you kind of are... You're getting them at a very specific time, and that's often why people become ashamed of their old work, because they only see the parts of them that they're no longer proud of, the parts of them that they think they could be better than now. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that I, I don't think, like, I, I think that this, if the public domain were a more relevant force, I think we would lose a lot of this belief. But, you know, like, destroy the idea that canon matters to you, because it 
it only matters in as far as the story you're reading and whether it helps or hinders it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to run through this one as well. Uh, just because it's an ace, it's Ace Attorney related, so only I care. Um, speaking of Ace Attorney, is there any game about lawyers, detectives, judges that is very mundane? I mean, the kind of cases that people receive most of the time are mundane and petty, right? Yet their decisions in these cases still have a lot of impact and can screw people over. Where's my papers, please, but for the legal system? Uh, I mean, papers, uh, please, is kind of technically in the uh, side parts of the legal system. It is legal legalese, but I get what you mean. Uh, if you're, like, the, what you would end up with, I think, would invariably end up resembling something, nothing so much as something between uh, Papers, Please, and Valhalla, uh, where you would be making a game about the petty dramas that create these, because inherently, like like you said, you're describing these as mundane. Like, that's, that's not, it's not built for interest, so you eventually have, you would have to rest the entire drama on the people causing these mundane things to happen. Uh, so you're, you're going to get into some strange things. I think there's a space there to do it. Uh, I could definitely see some indie taking it up, but like you're going to end up with something resembling office drama or interpersonal drama between people who like happen to be coming into these, uh, to, into these things. And you run into these situations of like, if you're a judge or like, if you're a if you're a judge, there's not a lot you can do. Uh, the, there's not a lot of mechanic there. You listen to things and then maybe make a decision. That's a visual novel, and there might be a game about that. Probably a fairly interesting one. Uh, detective. Uh, there's there's some games that have like slightly more mundane detectiving elements. Uh, but like many things that are like, relatively speaking, they sound kind of thin. You, you end up with, uh, do, do you couch, you, you'll see these couched into elements of games with more grandiose plots. So like there's side jobs in uh, judgment that are a little more mundane than the main job that involves homicide investigation. Uh, and, and the same thing with, with games about legalese and such you're you're going to run into are you building up to something or is it just always the mundane at which point it becomes you you have to rest the interest on interpersonal drama because what they're doing is inherently mostly vexatious uh so i i think it's possible i don't know that uh there's much appetite to make it is the is probably the bigger issue but uh, I do think that it is possible to make such a thing. Uh, and that, that gets us to the next question, which is related. And then that's the end of this chain. And that's where we'll probably call it quits for tonight. Could you even do an investigative video game about mundane things? I mean, you don't need to make every case a murder or a fraud be exciting, right? Somehow Reno 911 comes up in your mind. Uh, you, you can see that occasionally, uh, I think some of the uh, Tante Jinguji Saburo games in Japan, some of the things that you'll be investigating are more like 
a missing person, which is dramatic, but you know, sometimes you just find a person it's like, oh, they've been found, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's hard to reel someone in without some sort of drama around it because the mechanics of investigating in a game are kind of limited. Uh, so there's, there's limited capacity to draw people in based on a strict mechanical level. The mechanic, the, the, if the story that you're, if what you're investigating is mundane, then it's difficult to get people to buy in. So you're kind of left to rely on aesthetic and character. And that's, that's difficult. Uh, you can tell that this was a problem sort of conceptually when you look at something uh, like the aforementioned Ace Attorney. Ace Attorney games are detective games, but they're game, detective games where, where the thought process sort of came in that, like, it's not enough to just solve the crime and then send it off with no personal involvement. That didn't, there's definitely ways to do that, like, dozens of games that have some sort of detective element but you know the the idea of like you wanting to inject those personal stakes you care about like you're investigating you always have a reason to care about the investigation in this attorney because you are defending someone else and that's why so often games about investigation end up being about like the investigator inevitably must investigate something that they are accused of because it creates drama. It creates a reason to care about the outcome. And the issue with, uh, if you wanted to tackle a game about investigating mundane uh, interpersonal conflict, it would basically have to descend into farce immediately. That would be my personal uh, estimation anyway. You got any strong opinions? No, this is kind of out of my league. <laughs> uh, you act as though it's within mine. Somewhere. I'm just making declarations here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Would you play a Better Call Saul game? I haven't gotten to watching Better Call Saul yet, but yeah, probably. Uh, let see. Let's have some more of these. Uh, did Portable Ops make you angry or indifferent? First one, then the other. Uh, it made me angry, but not because of what it did to the canon. I didn't care. I didn't care because as a story by itself, it's of no value. Uh, an empty vessel of a game, and also one that controls very badly. It just has a lot of ill-considered mechanics. I'll never... Uh, it did make me laugh, though, unintentionally, by virtue of having a, a section where the game talks about uh, a snake's old war buddy Python, which is just... Hmm. ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous concept and not in like a particularly entrancing way it's just like that sounds like your first draft go back and do it again <laughs> uh, talking about JJ from Star Wars don't remember what that was in, you can't say what that was in response to apologies uh, would you play a better call saw game yeah I, I'd play that like that, that's one of those ones that like there's there's definitely an escalation of stakes there though but uh uh yeah, I, I strongly, uh, sorry, just a moment. Uh, 
but yeah. Uh, sorry, just fixing something. Uh, which probably better call fucking bone. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I think the uh, descending into some sort of farce is basically the only way to make the mundane work because, like, you've drained the drama, so it needs to be uh, dr drama. The drama needs to come from characters, and the entertainment needs to come from something other than just being dramatically invested. Yeah. Uh, Famitsu ruffled people back in the day for giving Korblov a pretty good score. Like, how bad a game must be to get a terrible Famitsu score? I mean, uh, like, Famitsu is you know, not really great at taking the temperature of how good a game actually is in my experience. But I will say it wasn't just them that gave it a high score. Although, no, I think it was Peace Walker where the Enterbrain CEO was in ads and it was like, this is a weird conflict of interest. Uh, but yeah, like, Peace uh, Portal Ops reviewed really well at the time. Like, you can go back and, what is its current Metacritic score? I remember it being pretty good. Yeah, eighty-seven percent on Metacritic. Like people, people thought and were like, hype is in inevitably colors how people look at a uh, game as it comes out, and oftentimes, like, if the game is really, really disappointing, then that can make people react more negatively than they should. But if it's not really, really disappointing or if they're just like enamored of some aspect of it that doesn't end up holding up, like in Cardlot's case, it's the sheer technology of it, like playing a game that looked like that on the handheld, uh, playing what felt like a console, to some people like a console, uh, Metal Gear Solid game on portable. Uh... But yeah, uh, I, I think that I don't think anyone was surprised when Portal Ops did well because it is, you know, people it, it did well near every, nearly every outlet that reviewed it. It was only after people had had time to marinate on it for a few months that it was like, wait, this sucks. Uh, and even more so once Peace Walker came out and they uh, and a version of it that didn't suck was produced. Uh, also, Wheels, are you still there? Wheels has left this world behind. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think that the answer, like a lot of times the answer is that, you know, people need space away from something that they're hyped for in order to really dig deep and understand what its long-term impact is. It's just like, you can't, you can't feel it in the moment. Like, you, you see that with a lot of games that get huge rave reviews across the board in tons of places uh, throughout uh, throughout the industry. Like I could pull up just off the top of my head, Bioshock Infinite or uh, like Last of Us Part Two, uh, just just to name a couple that are like these were you know these got across the board rave reviews at the time, and then. A couple months in, people start kind of looking at it and being like, oh, I didn't like that, and I didn't like that. And then suddenly they have like a very sizable like discussion about 
were, were they even good? Like, let alone, did they live up to the expectations? Were they even good to begin with? Uh, and I mean, Metal, Metal Gear is no stranger to that. Like, Metal Gear Solid 4 and 2 both got heavily re-examined and, like, continue, have arguments continuing to this day about whether they were just tremendous disappointments. The biggest thing that Portable Ops has is that it doesn't have a huge contingent of people who are like, no, that one was actually really good because a lot of, it was a pretty disposable game. There's, there's not that much to it. Um, but at the time, certainly, like, Famitsu was hardly alone in getting it. rave reviews. I mean, you can I occasionally like to go back and calibrate what uh, games were like uh, and discussion on games was like by listening to old podcasts. And if you listen to old podcasts, it's like, yes, finally a reason to bring out your PSP. And it's like, oh, wait, like, you know, a year or so later, people are like, yeah, was, I guess that was fine. And it wasn't. It was bad. It was a bad game. But point is, you know, people get swept up in hype. It just happens. You just kind of have to look. That's just kind of how things go. There is, uh, it's, it's the reason I still sometimes buy games new, like that. I like, it's fun to be hyped about something. It's fun to finally experience that with other people. But yeah. Uh, looks like you're back wheels. Yep. Yeah. Uh, did you want to, did you, could you think of any other games where it's like people like games that got really high reviews and then like. You know, later people, it was hard to find people that would defend them. Uh, I know there are some of these. I'm trying to think of one. Yeah, the ones I popped out were uh, Bioshock Infinite and uh, Last of Us Part Two, that both had like tremendous amounts of backlash after a huge hype cycle and initially rape reviews. Anything off the top of my head, like um, I think Horizon Forbidden West. Although I bashed it initially, I think a lot of people kind of soured on the game after the initial hype. They cooled a bit on it, like yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never heard anyone say it's a bad game, but it doesn't seem like it left much of a mark, which is kind of a bigger thing. Yeah, it's not a great example of this because it's yeah, by far not a bad game. The slightest. Last two did not even last for a full month before the backlash came. Yeah, I mean this this cycle has gotten faster over time. Used to be it took at least six months before people got pissed off, and then now it's like yeah, it took it takes like a month. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, there was definitely a there, there tends to be a cooling on things after the zeitgeist. Uh, it'll probably take longer before we fully determine whether. Uh, people are uh, how people feel about Horizon 2, but I, I would imagine based on how it's going that the annal- in the annals of history it will be that was pretty good. I have no strong further opinions on this. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Can you think of some good ones that were the opposite, like initial bad reactions and bad press, and then? Uh, I think I can think of things really turned around okay. on, like say Resonance of Fate. <laughs> I, I think that yeah, any any given cult classic, uh, Near is another one that like people were yeah. that the initial reviews were quite cool on, but people have grown very attached to. 
Uh, do we have to watch out for FF16? Uh, depends upon what you mean by watch out. Uh, today, like a few days ago, I learned that the dog in it is named Torval, and that's uh, maybe the worst name I've heard in a Final Fantasy game in a hot minute. It's what? Torgal? T-O-R-G-A-L. Torgal. Torgal? Yes, Torgal. I don't know why the dog's named Torgal. Um, that's terrible. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, like, like I said, worst name I've heard in a Final Fantasy game in a hot minute. Uh, but... Uh, is Mercenaries considered a cult classic yet? The, I feel like Mercenaries 1 is... I don't know many people who actually like Mercenaries. Like, the Mercenaries 1 fans I know don't like Mercenaries 2. They thought it was disappointing, so I don't know. Uh, but yeah, uh, for FF16, like, I do think that there is going to be a backlash, but I think that backlash is actually not going to come necessarily from the places you'd expect. Like... I'm pretty down on it, and that's fairly well known at this stage. But I think the people that are probably going to be more hurt by it are the people who are excited to, uh, for it, despite their misgivings, because of its pedigree, because they're huge FF14 fans, and inevitably it won't. There's going to be because FF14 is a big fan base. There's going to be FF14 fans that that game disappoints, and they're going to be the ones that get hurt by it. Uh. Like, uh, you know, like, like as, uh, you know, because I've definitely seen like a fair contingent of F14 fans that are like, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on some of the things they said, but I super trust Naki Yoshida and his team. And it's like, inevitably, like, given the amount of those that I know, there's, there's going to be some that are very disappointed with what they get. Yeah. And it's like, it's not even, I'm not even saying that'll be necessarily be the game's fault. Uh, like, at this point, I'm trying to approach FF16 as, like, a neutral observer, because, like, most of what it's doing does not feel like it's for me. But, uh... Which one was the best written Xbox game? <laughs> that, there's there's Doomerang for you. Like, coming in with, like, people who care about uh, Mercenaries tend to really like Mercenaries 1 and be kind of, eh, on Mercenaries 2. Uh... I think that there's more cultural, uh, more. I think Mercs One is more of a cult classic. Uh, you can still actually play Mercs, Mercenaries One on a modern system, which also helps. Uh, it's it's still playable on Xbox Series, which is nice. But yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, Virtua Tennis was the best OG Xbox game. Uh, honestly, before it got ported, ported around so that I could just play it on other things, I would have probably uh, backed the Dark Horse candidate and said that uh, Oddworld Stranger's Wrath was the best original Xbox game. Uh, as it stands, if you're still a big original Xbox fan, fan go give uh, Armed and Dangerous a try. That's a, that's a cute game. Is that by Planet Moon Studios, I want to say? Anyone ever play any Planet Moon games? Um, did they do uh, Giant Citizen Kabuto? They did. I think I played that a bit of that. Yeah, they, they were they were kind of a <laughs> of course. But yeah, uh, they made some some weird some weird shit that was kind of fun. Uh, 
But yeah, play Armed and Dangerous if you want to play like a weird old original Xbox game no one's bothered with. Uh, let's see. Remember the time when Burnout was considered an eSport by G4 TV? Oh, Lord. Listen, eSports went through a very strange gestation period as, as far as terms go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My throat's uh, starting to give out, so I think we're going to have to call it for tonight. Oh, we didn't even get to the awards. Can we do, like, the first two awards? Oh, uh, sure. Let's do some awards. Okay. So we don't have to do all just uh, for a few of them. Alright, so the first category, and I'm going to read the winners from last year, is Best Turn-Based RPG. Last year's winner was Fuga, Melodies of Steel. Second place, Shin Megami Tensei 5. Third place, Bravely Default 2. For turn-based RPGs, what do we even have this year? It's... I, I, I would personally, like, just because I really like Pokemon Scarlet, I would choose it, but since... Since that would be my RPG of the year, I'm going to ban it from other wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. Uh, uh, now, it's turn based. Does this. Can this include, like. Uh, I mean, Fuga's a strategy RPG. Yeah, okay, so that's what I was wondering, because. Yeah, that's what I figured you were wondering, because, like, then you get, like, Tactics Over Reborn or Triangle Strategy. Yeah. Well, if we're going by the strict RP Gamer rules, we can't pick remakes. But since we're not for this, yeah. you're welcome to pick a remake for any of these categories. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's going to be something I'm at risk of. But... Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to, since... Sorry, I forget if this is strategy RPG category. There probably uh, is. But since I'm going to pick it for other things... Oh, no, there's... I'm just gonna pick. Uh, Fuga might be weirder live than I realized. I always heard it was a strategy RPG, but I'm gonna pick Live Alive here, hmm. just to give it some more love. Uh, a game. Yeah, and, I, and that one's also we didn't get the original anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a game I wasn't super excited about. Because I didn't really know all about it. What I thought it was going to end up being is like, oh, this is, people are going to be like, oh, this is what, you know, Saga Frontier should actually be like, blah, blah, blah. But then I actually, play, when I actually played it, it was like, oh, no, this is actually its own thing, and it's really cool. And I like this quite mm. a lot. Yeah. And I'm glad that it got the chance to shine and got remade by people who clearly uh, cared quite a lot about the original so very glad we we got that mm. and it's uh, i'm glad that we got such a loving and good remake yes honestly it makes it makes me think like why why can't we get this for like this is, it was like more of a lavish remake than we've gotten for Square's major franchises. Like, where is the, where's the Dragon Quest remake like this? Where's the they're Final Fantasy They're doing that. Remake? We already know they're doing a okay. Dragon Quest remake. I know we're like doing this. that for Dragon Quest. Like, where's the Final Fantasy one like this? This is better than the Pixel remasters, in my opinion. Yeah, but they wanted the, the Pixel remasters, the point was to get all of them. Yeah. And they weren't going to. Green light six remakes like that. That's true. 
I feel like I would consider us like I'm very glad that we got this kind of remake for something that otherwise like no one would really go to bat for. It's true. Uh, Christo, did Chris Dale come out last year? I don't know. Uh, that, that was the year before? That feels like a 2021 game when I think about it. But... No, you know what? Maybe it was. Um... No, I think it was 2021. I was going to say because I got. I bought that for. Yeah, I'm thinking July 2021. For Christmas in 2021. Yeah. Sweet. Um, I was going to say it's a validation for corporate climbers yeah I mean the, the guy who uh, directed the Live Alive remake basically just really wanted to make a Live Alive remake so good on him yeah well I mean Square Enix in general has been doing a great job of revisiting a lot of their classics I think we've gotten all these great saga re-releases we got Legend of Mana we've got the FF7 remake yeah we got a really nice uh, remaster of Crisis Core. We got the original version of Trials of Mana and the nice remake of Trials yes, of Mana. Yes, which is great. Um, they, I think they're doing a good job of revisiting some of their classics. Obviously, there's a lot more they could get to, but... But that's more speaking to the breadth of the catalog. To be yeah, ex exactly. Like, we all want, like, say, what if there was a something similar to an HD 2D, uh, or, like, just a Renaissance version, even if, at least of that, of the rest of the Tenchi Sozo uh, Terranigma games. But, you know, one of those things where, like, I, I hope so, someday, maybe. But, you know, or Bahamut Lagoon would be a fun one. You can watch uh, Japanese fandom rip itself apart again. <laughs> Let's see. As long as there are Japanese, there's a Japanese exact uh, square on X, your will will be fulfilled. If you are from Europe, then tough luck. Ooh, yeah. I mean, they sold off most of their European properties. <laughs> Speaking of non Japanese games, how about a Secret of, uh, what you call it? Secret of Evermore? Evermore? Remake. remake. I, I would honestly be shocked if half of Square Enix Japan even was aware that game happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Alright, next category. Uh, which is... The, the best action RPG. And the winners from last year were... Monster Hunter Rise in first place, Persona 5 Strikers in second place, and Tales of Arise in third place. A really good, really. That was a really strong year. Like there's, there was no, there was no shame in coming in third in that yeah. one, even though I think Tales of Arise is quite good. Uh, but yeah. Um, let's see. But yeah, uh, it, it's a slightly quieter year. Um, trying to think of action RPGs I played this year. Uh, it's really more a year for turn-based RPGs for yeah, me. It kind of is, yeah. Uh, check. Oh, Elden Ring's going to run away with that. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
but I'm gonna just completely it. blank that. Yeah. I do want to. I do want to sit here and ask what person, uh, who like what algorithm allowed uh, Xenoblade Three to be listed as an action RPG? I uh, don't know. Don't know. Yeah, I, I would not. I would not call that one. But Elden Ring's gonna run away with that. Uh, uh, otherwise, you get into. Uh, I guess you could do Sunbreak if you're counting things that are. Uh, if you're counting expansions. Dragon Quest Treasures. Uh, D2 Treasures. Aiden mm. Chronicles Rising. Oh, yeah. Was that this year? Was that 2022? Yeah. Huh. Fire Emblem Tropes. Uh, Gotham Knights. Star Wars Divine Force, I feel like when I get around to that, might end up taking that for me. Forbidden West? No. Stretcher of Paradise was a really strong one. Yeah, I never got around to that. I'm really sad about that too. Yeah, it's really it's it's quite good. It got it got its launch eaten by Elden Ring. I was like that was the worst possible time for it to come out, but Rune Factory Five. So, I think that was the, the I think that was the PC version was last year. Rune Factory Five. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's... Maybe it was only in Japan in 2021. I think it was only yeah, it was only in Japan in 2021. But yeah, it's a strong it's a strong list Tiny of like my be here. Wonderland. I'm gonna pick Tiny Tina's Wonderland for this. Yeah, you really liked that one. Yeah, it's um, three. I liked, but it, the humor wasn't great. And this one really yeah. hit it out of the park, just going full lion on like D and D dorky humor, and hmm. just. Doing something different with the weapons, like, yeah, it's still a game all about guns, but it's all, like, you know, more fantasy-ish guns, and it's pretty fun. Uh, yeah, I really like that game a lot. And it, if anyone that's listening to this know, my biggest compliment was it finally ditched the thing I really don't like about the first three Borderlands games, which is... Claptrap? <laughs> Okay, other than Sorry, it also it does not have quad trap. <laughs> Alright. But uh it get rid gets rid of the open world, which is completely stupid and pointless and majority <laughs> of the franchise. Fireminer's not a fan of Tiny Teen of the character. It just has like or perhaps the game itself, because it just has the one joke. Uh, uh oh, to hit one of these questions real quick, would anyone be down for a remake of that terrible PS2 mana game? Uh, I mean, I'm always in the mood for seeing a game that sucked become something that was good. I yeah. don't think there's an appetite for it, but I'd try it. It's, there's a lot of really obvious changes you could make to Don Planet to make it not suck ass the way that, it, at least to the same degree that it did before. So, I'd be interested. And hey, it is Seiken Densetsu 4. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm almost curious if the people doggedly making remakes of Secret of Mana and Don uh, Trials of Mana don't at least try Dawn of Mana at some point. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll see. Mine's TBD because I haven't had a lot of experience with half these games. But my heart is hoping that Divine Force pulls it out, even though Fireminer seems to be kind of down on the game. Uh, a lot of people seem to be quite high on it. Yeah, so. we'll see. We'll see how I end up falling on it. It certainly um, seems less divisive than past uh, Star Ocean mm. games, which is good. Yeah. 
But yeah, so action RPG for me is TBD. Uh, I might just get cheeky and say Pokemon Legends Arceus. <laughs> That's kind of strange. Like, that, that one's very much a hybrid. There's turn-based elements yeah. and action elements in that one. Let's yeah. see. Let's do one more real quick. I'm not going to do best ongoing RPG. <laughs> yeah, I don't think either. Like, you would just say Destiny 2 and then we'd be yeah. done. Uh, let's see. Best. Let's do best re-release and we'll stop there. We'll save best battle system and etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, last year the, the winners for best re-release was first place near Replicant. Second place, Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate, and third place, Final Fantasy IV Pixel Remaster. Man, I forgot that had been that long. Yeah. Uh, which I don't. Uh, I would put seven first place there. Even yeah, what was number one on that? Fun. I didn't hear. I heard. Uh, uh, Near Replicant was first place, seven uh, Remake Integrate was second. I would I would say that I found the integrate content to be more interesting than near, but also I didn't like near in the first place. So. Yeah, I mean I liked <laughs> I liked near, but I, I don't really care about the near where that's not old man near. Yeah, it really is a shame that they couldn't like square away some way to make uh, yeah. guest alt near an option at the very least. But I I mean I get it I get it, and it's good that there is a way to play near in the current generation, even if I don't personally want to. But, yeah. Uh, Intergrade would be, would have been my choice. Uh, let's see. Uh, like, we already sort of did Live Alive, so that, that feels like kind of a cheat yeah. to do it twice. Um, that was a, technically a re-release, but we didn't get the original anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't count that since we didn't get the original. Uh, yeah, we're free re-release I as well as something that we haven't gotten before. I believe the same <laughs> is true for our actual awards coming up, so it will be eligible for everything, I believe. <laughs> Which is nice. Um, but in that case, I would go with... Um, you know, I'm going to go with a weird one here and say uh, near Automata on the Switch. That's a really inc- like I, I will say like if nothing else that's an incredible board. Yeah, I, I mean I, I'd want to say obviously Crisis Core, but since this and is like just, that's that's a strong contender as well. Yeah, since this <laughs> is just our fun awards, I'm gonna say that because I really enjoy a good Switch port. And um, if nothing else, I'm like even if I if I'm kind of lukewarm on the game thus far. I have to give respect to the team that made that took a uh, PS4 and Xbox One game unambiguously and ported it to Switch with such a plone that it in some places looks better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> like truly, true, true technical masterwork on the part yeah. of the porting house. Like, bravo. Uh, 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 Persona 5 Royal. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, not, not uh, just because I want the excuse to play it again. Not, yeah. not so much, like, 
it's it's a good port on everything. It has no it would have no excuse to not be a good port on everything. Anything that they tried to put it on has no excuse to not run it perfectly. But it is one of those things like, hey, put some of my royals back. <laughs> Uh, let's see, just a reunion does not make you feel tired uh, in the end game portion. Just that reunion does not make you feel tired in the end game portion is a big accomplishment already. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that in terms of like re rejiggering the internals of the original without betraying them, I, I think the uh, FF7 Crisis Core reunion is an incredible contender uh, for. Uh, being like as good or better than your memory of how uh, of how good the original was because like you go back and like there's things about it or some now like you play reunion and it's like this is just it's exactly as good as i remembered and that's always a tough a tough act to follow with a re-release so those would like some, some something between those three would probably end up being my number one they would just sort of slide around each other <laughs> Uh, let's see. But yeah. Um, did we... I think it's now about time for us to close out. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, the author's birthday sale may be over, especially by the time you listen to this, but you can still... Uh, Princesses of, P of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited... Still available and still honestly dirt cheap. Give it a shot. Uh, Do it. Do it. Now. You got nothing to lose but like you've got nothing to lose but like a dollar in your time. Uh, and honestly, you probably wasted it on way worse. Even within this week, even if you don't end up liking it, you probably spent you probably spent time on way worse shit this week. Give it a shot. Um, I'm, that's that's right. I'm going for the hard sell this week. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Uh, if you enjoy the lit RPG genre as it is sometimes known, or if you just enjoy, uh, you know, the, the drama that comes around people's attempt to roleplay. Uh, you know, fun fun for the whole family. But yeah, so give that a shot. Uh, you can ask us questions like, Dear Friends, Doomerang and Fireminer. Thank you to both of them for uh, keeping us well supplied this week. Uh, if you want to ask us questions during the uh, recording, we typically record somewhere between 10 and midnight Eastern on Wednesdays. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can ask us questions in the comments section under this episode. I just realized I did not check the most recent episode. I am very sorry. I will check it again next week just to be sure. Uh, but uh, you can also ask us questions in the Discord. You can join the RP Gamer Discord by going to the Community tab and uh, clicking, uh, going to rpgamer.com, clicking the Community tab. That'll get you invited to the Discord. It's a good community, a lot of nice people. Great to spend time in, even if you don't want to ask us questions. But we really do love it when you ask us questions, so maybe give it a thought. Even if, it's, even if you think it's been asked before. We love going over all questions. I, I always have some new stupid hyperfixation. <laughs> uh, Wales, tell them about shenanigans. Uh, so we do a weekly show, usually around midnight Eastern on Sunday nights, called 
Sunday Night Shenanigans, where we play multiplayer games. Uh, last week was supposed to be the start of Halo 5, which will now be this upcoming Sunday. Um, and we're going to start Halo 5 and eventually do Halo Infinite uh, co-op. And we'll probably that's, get that's back- be fun. Yeah, and we'll probably get back to some Pokemon Scarlet at some point. Uh, do some high-end raids. Uh, and especially, we'll get back to that once there's DLC for sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's uh, aptly named shenanigans. Uh, usually, lots of goofiness. We going just on. do stupid bullshit. Yes, it's a good time. Highly recommend that. Yeah. Uh, and that's also on this Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash askwheels, as is the recording of this show. So mm. that's that. Uh, uh, ask me questions directly. You can find me on social media platforms of the weird variety. I'm uh, askwheels on Mastodon, on the server mastodon.lol. And you can also find me under the same name on co-host. Mm. Uh, I can be found uh, on co-host as Family Master. I usually just, uh, most of that is uh, shit posts and chin stroking in fairly equal measure. For example, earlier today, like today, I made two bad posts. One of them was about how the reason you can Bring it. You can find it in your heart to love Sega at this stage, is because they can no longer hurt you. Uh, feels kind of true. And the other was about how uh, it has been twenty-five years, and no one has stopped that bastard, Mister Domino. So you know, I have fun there. Uh, so if you if you just want to follow my shit posting, uh, cohost.org/familymaster. Uh, that, that's the only social media that I have that is public and that I have any interest in maintaining. Uh, and really, honestly, the only one that I have any real interest in maintaining. <laughs> uh, Twitter sucks. Um, sure does. But yeah. Um, let's see. I think that about covers everything. So, see you, Space Cowboys. See ya.